0: The MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. Could blockchain technology live up to its promises and solve many of Africa's most pressing financial problems, such as payments and remittances? A new African blockchain report by CVVC in collaboration with Standard Bank suggests blockchain technology could accelerate Africa's economic development in many practical ways. For example, slashing the costs of cross-border remittances, which in some countries accounts for a good portion of their GDPs. In the Gambia, for example, remittances account for more than 20% of its GDP. Then imagine what could happen if stablecoins backed by real-world assets such as the US dollar could be used as a means of trade payment. They're being used as we speak, completely unregulated, and that will change in the coming years as countries realize they do need to regulate this space to maintain any kind of national sovereignty. The blockchain is already being piloted as a means of verifying and hosting personal ID. Imagine no longer having to fill out forms, multiple forms when applying for loans or government services All your information may be safely embedded on a blockchain in one single file, and that would be unhackable and proofed. No, no, that's got that. All of that information will be contained in a single file, safely embedded on the blockchain that is unhackable. This report contains a dizzying amount of insights on a country-by-country basis for the continent as a whole. CVVC is a Swiss-based blockchain investor and international startup ecosystem builder. And what a surprise to find Standard Bank leading from the front in understanding and developing these new technologies. To discuss this, we're joined by Brenton Nyker, Director of Capital Formation and Accelerator at CVVC Africa, and Ian Putter. Head of Blockchain for Africa at Standard Bank. Welcome to both of you, Brenton and Ian. Thanks for coming on.
1: Well, Kieran, it's, it's always a, a pleasure to be here. Um, as I think the audience knows, I've been in the MoneyWeb crypto podcast before, but uh, this time I'll be wearing an interesting new hat.
0: Yes, uh, people will remember you as uh, Africa lead for Binance, and now you're with CVVC. So we'll get into that in a minute. And also welcome Ian Putter from Standard Bank. Thank you very much. Okay, Brenton, let's start with you. What are some of the standout findings from this report, the African blockchain report that you've just published? It's just come out today.
1: Brilliant. So I I think, like you said, there is an absolute treasure trove. Um, of really interesting information. And that was one of the key reasons we we opted to develop this report because um, there wasn't really a comprehensive set of data points for people to really take a look at Africa from a bird's eye view and and understand what that blockchain ecosystem um, and particularly the startup side of it looks like. And what really, really jumped out at me, you know, when we were preparing this um, report and and kudos to my amazing team um, is, You you know, all of the headlines have been covering African funding in general. You know, we've seen massive um, traditional VC rounds being funded in Africa, and rightly so, right? The traditional VC market in Africa has grown by about 149% um, over the last year, so between uh, 2020 and 2021. But if you look at the, the growth in blockchain funding of startups, Um, and particularly between the first quarter of 2021 and what we've just wrapped up now of the first quarter of 2022, it actually grew over that period by 1,668%. So, you know, for it to be outpacing African VC funding by something like 11 times, um, you know, was really, really surprising. I mean, we knew it was big, but not that big. And in spite of that, we still haven't seen Africa's first blockchain unicorn. Uh, So I think those two things together were were very exciting um, for the future of blockchain in Africa. And then another thing that jumped out is I think the, the, the regulatory landscape, which I think we'll cover a little bit later, Um, But actually, you know, uh, there isn't really a good regulatory landscape across most of the the 54 countries in Africa. Um, And while many people may see this as a negative, it just means there's so much opportunity for more capital and more um, solutions to basically flow into the space. So two biggest takeaways, I think, was still a lot of room for regulatory maturity uh, and the pace that that blockchain venture funding is growing in Africa is absolutely astounding.
0: Right. And of course, a unicorn, I had to look that up. I didn't know. That's uh, that's a company which is valued at a billion dollars or more. Am I correct?
1: Correct. Correct. Okay. Um,
0: very interesting findings that. And Ian, if I can come to you, I must say I was impressed to see Standard Bank involved in the preparation of this report or in certainly in the collaboration of it there is a widespread belief in the crypto space that South African banks are hostile to cryptos. And, you know, you'll probably concede that there's good reason for that because so many of the banks have pulled away from offering crypto services to crypto exchanges, for example. And and Brenton can certainly uh, attest to that. In Standard Bank's case, I take it that's not the case. I mean, Standard Bank is a bit of a standout here. Yes, I think um,
2: Standard Bank applies like all the other financial institutions. We quite heavily regulate it and we follow the regulatory rule. And you probably would have seen that um, the regulators are taking a proactive stance on this um, in a few African countries to Brenton's point. But we follow the regulations, but we do believe in uh, learning through doing, and we've experimented with blockchain for quite a few years. And then on the crypto side, we are providing crypto banking services to the exchanges in South Africa or the crypto asset service providers. But I must say, we always follow the rules um, being a regulated institution. So you can learn exactly how blockchain works and what the benefits are. I think for the benefit of our customers and, and growth in Africa, it's important for us as a bank to understand what those benefits are and how we can optimally utilize this uh, technology and uh, in future be part of the decentralized economy and the decentralized world.
0: Brenton, some of the use cases for blockchain include remittances and payments, as I mentioned in the intro. Now, as things stand, using stable coins for trade payments is it's almost certainly happening. But it's unregulated at the moment, and for those who don't know, stablecoin is an asset which is backed by, uh, well, it's a crypto which is backed by a real-world asset. So, in the case of the one that we've all been reading about in the last few weeks, Terra USD, supposedly backed by the US dollar, but we find out that wasn't the case. Where does your research suggest these use cases are headed? Where we're we going to be using blockchain and, and perhaps even stablecoins for a multitude of things that are just not available at the moment?
1: Well, absolutely. You know, I think, uh, particularly with with reference to Africa, it's no surprise that we don't enjoy uh, the same level of financial infrastructure and access to financial services and products um, that you know some of our counterparts in in you know more first world type countries would get. And obviously, because of that, you know, these the payments and remittance space. Um, presents itself as the low hanging fruit in terms of opportunities for Africa. Um, But I think, uh, as you've said, it's definitely being done because uh, Africans are, um, you know, very, very um, intelligent people who, you know, I think we've seen the global adoption rates um, are exceptionally high in Africa. And these are one of the reasons because it represents a more efficient and cheaper way um, to make payments, both you know locally, both to make pa- and receive payments from abroad. But the biggest barrier to sort of large-scale adoption um, of things like stable coins, and uh, definitely we don't want the algorithmic kind like we've seen with Terra, um, but you know, especially regulated collateralized stable coins, things like USDC, where there's physical dollars in the bank, um, USDT, BUSD. um, Those instruments really represent a great opportunity. Uh, And the biggest barrier or friction to it pretty much powering most of the payments and remittance infrastructure is the lack of of regulatory controls, right? Um, Regulators, central banks, they need to know when money flows from one country to another, back into this country, You know, and obviously, there's a number of important reasons for this. Uh, So, I think over the next couple of years, once we see that regulatory framework improve, uh, we'll see the use of things like stablecoins for remittances and payments become far, far more ubiquitous across Africa. Um, And I think one of the important things for that to happen is the building blocks. Need to be in place. So, you need local currency on and off ramps in each country. You need sufficient liquidity. And another key standout from the report is that of all the blockchain venture funding uh, raised in Africa in 2021, about 79% of that went towards fintech and exchange businesses, which will form that foundational level and layer that will make it a lot easier for regulated institutions to adopt these solutions. So I think it's a big friction at the moment, but in the near future, when the regulators come on board and the foundational infrastructure is built by these fintech companies and exchanges, it'll become far easier and far more adopted.
0: Yes, and I see you mentioned in the report the $50 million that was raised by Valor, the crypto exchange based here in South Africa, and it's an extraordinary amount of money. For a company that's been around just a few years, you know, you think how um, companies on the stock exchange, how long before they can raise that kind of capital from traditional investors. It really does make you think what is going on in the space. But, Ian, if we can come back to you, I I have this idea that banks are just too immersed in their legacy systems and they're pretty good. But do they recognize the train smash that's headed their way? Uh, crypto enthusiasts are flocking to platforms where annual returns of twenty percent or more are being offered, and banks are nowhere near offering this kind of enticement. So, it's not always a good idea to throw a lot of money at these potentially risky platforms. Terra USD, the one that we just mentioned, is a case in point. They were offering 20 percent. Uh, That's all gone. Um, but you know, if you look at blockchain impacting banking in South Africa, what are we likely to see? The the, the first applications coming through. What's it going to look like? How's it going to change our banking experience?
2: Well, I think uh, to your point, crypto is growing exponentially. And um, to Brenton's point, the fintechs, where the actual money is going, is to the fintechs or crypto asset service providers. But banks like us, we all recognize the potential and we can see the returns. But with that comes volatility and lots of risk, as you mentioned. So I think it's quite important to understand the the underlying risks in that world. But I think in the future, and what's evolving is that I think the bridge between the old and the new is going to be quite important. If you think about onboarding capabilities that banks provide, banks do provide trust. And I think from a regulatory perspective, as soon as regulations are being finalized and reporting and tracking, um, I think is going to become more ubiquitous. But I still think if you, if you look at the US dollar coins, globally what's happening, there is a trust function that's uh, provided by banks where they're actually holding that collateral on behalf. And that, that collateral is audited. Um, the examples that you mentioned, you must be 100% sure what's actually backing the asset and that there's sufficient collateral. And I think if that trust and that... Uh, well embedded validations are included so the best of both worlds the best of a centralized and the best of a decentralized world are combined i think then you're going to start seeing cross-border uh, transactions and lots of other payments being done at a fraction of the cost of what it's being done at today so i think that's on the call you know but but i wouldn't i wouldn't um uh, Neglect the regulatory regulation still is vital. We've seen it now globally proven. Um, I think without regulations, growth is not going to be as significant as it's going to be with regulatory support.
0: Yeah: Yeah, it, it, there, there are one of the use cases that you do mention in the report, and I find this a bit of a fascinating subject is trade payments. So if you're importing goods from Zimbabwe, could you actually pay in stablecoin? Because that is completely unregulated. It goes outside of the, the you know, the central bank uh, controls that you have in place. Uh, it is happening. We know that there are people who are actually buying goods from China. I certainly have heard of it, uh, paying with RAND stablecoins. So this kind of thing is going on. And it, it, uh Does it undermine, you know, the monetary regimes that you have in these countries? Does it undermine the national sovereignty? What do you think about that, Brenton?
1: Well, I think, uh, you know, just furthering to to Ian's point is the real key that that unlocks this exponential growth of the technology and the the opportunities it can provide is that regulatory piece of the puzzle that, that that's missing. And... In Africa, in general, um, at least to my understanding, we tend to wait for a lot of the, um, you know, for lack of a better term, more advanced economies um, who have the resources and infrastructure to research these things a little bit deeper, um, to you know, put out their test cases, put out regulatory frameworks, do the experimentations, and then you know, once they've done that and released a a framework that that tends to work. Uh, we then adopt that. And I think if we look globally, I mean, even with what's going on right now, I mean, um, at the World Economic Forum where uh, the rest of my team is at the moment, a a large component of that is blockchain, um, stable coins, regulating the sector. Um, I think a week or two ago, um, the president of El Salvador um, invited 44 emerging market economies Um, to El Salvador, to what they call Bitcoin Beach, to discuss, you know, um, obviously adopting it as um, legal tender and all the other surrounding benefits. And I think as we see uh, one of the global leaders adopt a sort of blanket framework, um, we'll start to see a lot more of that adoption take place in Africa. And to cut back to actual numbers, um, in Africa's 54 countries at the moment, only about six have a legal status and um, that is approved so crypto is only legal in six out of 54 countries roughly 11% um, 27 of them have an implicit ban because of exactly what you just described Kieran is it's understandable from a regulator's perspective is how do we control where this money is flowing who this money is flowing to if people are paying taxes you know if there's terrorist financing and um, what this framework is hopefully going to help us to understand um, further to Ian's point is how do we control those flows of money, uh, both within the country and outside the border? How do we make sure bad things are not happening with those, those flows? And I think we're very close to seeing a global superpower, the likes of an EU or a US um, adopt a, a sort of blanket framework that answers these big questions. And when we see that, I think uh, the 27 countries that have an implicit ban, because they can't answer all of these questions at the moment, uh, will have a much better view on how to deal with these things. And they'll change from the implicit ban status to the legal status. So um, I'm hoping that, you know, uh, we'll see that number move from six to hopefully closer to 2027 20, over the next roughly 12 to 24 months. Um, and that will allow a lot of this potential to be unlocked. You know, at, at that stage, players like Standard Bank can start using stable coins for remittance without the end user ever having to even see the word blockchain. And that's when the real value is created, in, in my opinion.
0: Right. And of course, Central African Republic recently authorized Bitcoin as legal tender as well. I, I... I don't know if that's earth-shattering news or not. I had to look it up. It's a country of 5 million people, apparently. But I do think it's pretty uh, pretty revolutionary for an African country to do that. And just looking through the reports, I, I do see South Africa scoring quite well in terms of its embrace of cryptos and the development of CBDCs or central bank digital currencies. Mauritius does well as well. Uh, Possibly Nigeria, as far as CBDCs are concerned, but they're not too friendly towards cryptos of the private nature. Uh, Kenya, too, fairly tolerant about cryptos, but one gets a sense that the regulators are a bit frozen in the headlights about all of this. They don't quite know what to do or how to regulate this market. For example, how do you define a stablecoin? And then what regulations apply to that stablecoin if you're going to be able to do trade payments with it? Uh, as i mentioned earlier and you know, does that undermine your, your your legal tender laws and all that sort of thing is that a fair assessment of the state of things you mentioned uh what was it six countries in africa with some form of regulation you want to see that go to about 27 which would be about halfway in in the next year or two is that right brenton
1: correct correct um you know and i think uh, the are uh, a number of big sort of legacy players that are going to play an important role in that Uh, standard bank, obviously being one, Um, you know, Africa's largest bank, they've obviously got the the golden thread, I think that can, uh, you know, create the the bonds between these countries um, to understand these frameworks and adopt these frameworks that I've been, um, that that I just spoke about. Um, And also organizations like um, BRI, the Blockchain Research Institute, um, who Standard Bank have partnered with as well. Um, you know, I think it, it's going to be up to private, the private sector a lot to drive um, or lead these engagements to really unlock this potential. Um, but, Ian, I know, I know that you guys are doing um, a lot in this space. Um, is there anything that you want to add to that?
2: Yes, I think um, what's very important, why we're struggling, I think the regulation um, is only focused on those six countries but i think education and understanding is a critical point Uh, a lot of us focus um, on on education always but it doesn't mean that people actually understand and i think this uh, reaction to crypto is based on news and and what's happening people can't really um, and regulators don't see the benefit they see cash flowing out they see uh, their own fiat being undermined And I think if you really implement good governance, blockchain solutions, then it can actually bring a lot of transparency and it can facilitate regulation and monetary policy. So I think it's all about education and having trusted participants initially to bridge the gap between the old and the new world. And I think that could speed up
0: uh, the regulatory environment as well. Ian, just staying with you, I think one of the things that struck me when I was reading this report, uh, and you do kind of hint at it uh, here and there, is the potential for blockchain technology to do for uh, Africa's financial services and even more than that for its its, its overall prosperity and economic development The the, the blockchain will have the same impact or has the potential to have the same impact on that as cell phones did for communication. I mean, if you go anywhere in Africa, even to the remotest parts of of, uh, DRC, Congo or Ghana, West Africa, pretty much everybody these days has got a smartphone, which means not only can they make calls, but they can access data from all sorts of things. So. Uh, you know, they if, if you're in the cocoa trade, you know, you're, you're a cocoa farmer in Ghana, you know what the price is for, for cocoa. Nobody's going to fool you and pretend, you know, that uh, because you're out in the sticks, you don't know. Do you see that? Is What was the surprises for you in this research? And, and was that something that you actually saw, that this does have the potential to accelerate Africa's development?
2: Yes. Um, well, firstly, let me just tell you what the surprises are. One of the surprises was that South Africa didn't, I think they came in fourth when uh, receiving some of these new funding. I think Nigeria was leading and then Seychelles and Kenya and South Africa, which normally uh, there's a lot of activity. I realized in this report that we're actually not leading in this space across Africa. And that gives you another indication that there is large potential across Africa, but even in South Africa, where, where there's not a lot of funding happening at the moment. compared. You mentioned Valor, but I mean, in the bigger scheme of things, the other countries are leading because people see the opportunity to actually utilize blockchain, to bring governance, to bring transparency, and actually to facilitate uh, lowering barriers to entry of various blockchain use cases. In the bank, we're participating on use cases um, where we are growing food and it brings dignity to people because if you think about transparent, immutable ledger um, that facilitate programmable money, for instance, it makes it ensuring that the right person gets what is actually due to them without having to fight for it or being bullied out of it. So there are multiple opportunities across Africa and I think the combination of crypto Stablecoins tokenization, the carbon market. I see potential in all those, and those are the things that's actually happening on the ground. So we're quite connected across Africa, as Brenton mentioned, through the BRI Africa as well, where we do a lot of, or are busy doing a lot of research to um, facilitate learning awareness and actual application and execution for communities to utilize the technology to improve their lives. So now I see a lot of uh, opportunities, but it was a surprise to me, given the activity and the people that contact and connect with me in South Africa, that our portion of the funding is so small compared to the other countries.
0: Indeed. Uh, Brenton, the, the space is clearly growing at an unbelievably fast rate. You've mentioned some of these these figures for growth and people, you know, when the first time they hear about cryptos, and you know, it, it's, it's not really happening unless it's a thousand percent up, right? Um, they, they may have to rethink that in, in, in light of what's happened in the last few weeks in the crypto market. But give us some of the predictions based on this research that's just been done in the African blockchain report. What, what are your predictions for the next 12, 24 months?
1: Well, well uh, like you said, and uh, the space moves at, at lightning speed. And I think uh, 12 to 24 months out, uh, my first prediction is something would have happened uh, or been created that none of us would have predicted um, but, you know, coming back down to, I, I think, uh, where the evidence and the data is leading us is, I think, within the next 12 to 24 months, we definitely see um, a much clearer regulatory regime being introduced um, across specific trade blocks or, or regional blocks in Africa. And that would, you know, like I said, take us from six countries where it's legal, hopefully, to a region um, of, of 20 to 30 and then I think that also opens the opportunity for a lot of very interesting inter-African partnerships and, and proof of concepts. Uh, so that's one. Two, I think we will definitely see the emergence of Africa's first blockchain unicorn. Um, you know, Africa is still generally young in terms of producing these billion-dollar companies, like you mentioned. Um, you know, I think there are only roughly six African unicorns um, in total, five of them are fintech companies, none of them are blockchain companies. So I definitely think we start sprouting one or two unicorns in the next year or so. Uh, And then finally, I think at least one of um, Africa's leading companies uh, will start utilizing this technology uh, in a very meaningful way. Um, So, you know, very consumer facing or, like I said, powering trade payments or something to that effect that really has a significant uh, benefit to the African continent in some way. So I think those are probably the the three top predictions from my side.
0: Fantastic. Ian, same question to you. Uh, Give us your predictions for the next 12 to 24 months. Yes, I cannot. uh,
2: The first one is the regulatory environment is going to be more. Certain And there's going to be a lot of changes coming through, which I think will be an opportunity. Secondly, I think African stable coins is something that's going to start. I know you talk about a, a czar, C, czar coin. But I think more from a regulatory perspective, getting stable coins that's fiat backed, that can facilitate cross-border trades in a regulated kind of way. Also, CBDCs, I think, is going to pick up over the next 12 to 24 months. And the integration between that and tokenized financial instruments will probably move quicker because that infrastructure, that core infrastructure is key for any blockchain ecosystem from a Web3 payment perspective perspective to facilitate this regulated cross-border trade. I also think that the use of non-fungible tokens and uh, educational-type blockchains is going to start coming to the fore. So more use cases, more live blockchains that actually deliver value that's tracked and traced and that makes a difference in people's lives.
0: I guess it's fair to say in summing up that both you, Brenton, and you, Ian, you do see this technology having quite a revolutionary effect in in the next two years. We're not talking here very far from now. I mean, uh, two years from now, if we were able to be able to do trade transactions using stable coins, that in itself would be revolutionary. If we had regulations which would govern Uh, what is a crypto defines it accurately and and what are the limits of of a crypto and what you can do with it. I think that would be pretty revolutionary as well. And these other use cases like payments, cross-border remittances, um, trade, as we've already mentioned, and and a host of other things, education, blockchain, uh, Web3, all of these, these new evolutions of technology are just really now only beginning to accelerate because you've now got a financial platform of which they can launch. Would that, would that be a correct summary there? Ian, would you agree with that, Brenton? Yes.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely agree. I think we're on the, the cusp of something very special here.
0: Lovely. Well, I want to thank you both for coming on to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast. It's been a fantastic discussion. Well done on the research. It's very much needed. And I, I really hope that this uh, is going to become an annual thing. Uh, because it does keep us uh, our fingers on the pulse of what's actually happening in terms of blockchain development around the continent so fantastic work to both of you and thanks for coming on thank you very much
1: thank you so much for having us as usual Karen. and uh, if if any of your users want to download the report they can find it at um, cvvc.com we've got a little report tab uh, and the first report there will be the african blockchain report
0: great thank you so much brenton thanks ian Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.